is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, Existential? Thanks for listening to the podcast. Today, I've got my friend Robert Munson from Denver, Colorado, uh, on the podcast with me. It's been a long time coming, man. I think I asked you to come on the podcast, like, I don't know, a year ago. And then, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what happened, but you're here now. So, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to come on. The world exploded is what happened. That is what happened. That is what happened, man. <laughs> so, so tell, so tell, tell, the folks, tell the folks that like, you know, don't know what you do, what your work is. Tell them, tell them what you do. And I know you're a musician, part of a podcast, but, you know, tell, tell, us, some, tell us some stuff about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I am multifaceted. Uh, mm-hmm. So I... Um, the most important things about me are, uh, I'm a lover. Mm. I, um, and I intersect with the world from that space. Right. And, uh, I'm one of seven children and that's important to me as well and shapes how I see the world. And, uh, I'm from Chicago originally and, uh, I was born there. Hey, okay. Um, and that also impacts how I see the world and how I see people. <laughs> um, and, um, and so in my life now, I am a musician. I'm a writer. I do um, anti-racist uh, work um, and theology from that place. Um, a lot of consulting from that place. And I'm in seminary <laughs> as well, uh, trying to make it through that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so a lot of different things. I also am part of a podcast with, uh, two other brothers, uh, Trey and Sam. Uh, we have a podcast called three black men, um, and proud of the work that we do, uh, there and the content that we produce, uh, there. Yeah, so. man, it's good stuff. It is good. Like, it's interesting to me, you know, one of the ways that you show up in the world is through scholarly work um, mm. from a Christian perspective, right? And I yeah. know that a lot of us as Black folks have been struggling with the notion of Christianity just because of how we how it got to us. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And then the things, the, once you start to become aware of all of the systems and structures in place to uphold nationalism and white supremacy and all the things a lot of black folks are like she <laughs> <laughs> that's an understatement you know, right yeah. so so you're 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 doing the extra work of seminary and writing and like you know how, how what keeps you connected to that tradition through all the harm that has happened to people of color as a result of it that's a loaded question. I uh, <laughs> how much time do we have? In the world, this is a five part series. Um, no, I so so one. What helps me is I did not grow up as a Christian. I grew up as an atheist, mm. and I think that there is not enough talk about atheism. And there is not enough talk about black atheism specifically. Um, 
the conversations about atheism is usually uh, bombarded by white atheism yeah, um, sure. and one one strand of white atheism. And so I usually get bored. You know, there's like mm-hmm. the God's not dead <laughs> atheism tropes. <laughs> and uh, I can't tell you how many times my mom has asked me to watch that movie. Like, I, still have, that, I still haven't seen it. That And it's just like the most boring, uh, predictable mm-hmm. things that you would think of that that are in your mind that you have been in a church that would lead one to be an atheist. And that is that, that is what, whatever you have considered in your mind, that is what that white professor is mm. in depicts. But uh, black atheism is expansive. Uh, there's a lot of nuances. There are a lot of layers and in a culture um, of being black, I think being an atheist uh, is there's a lot of nuances. And so I think that that helped shape me in a way. Mm. Um, it made me spiritual in a way. It made me religious in a whole different way. And it formed me um, mm. in a spiritual ethic. Uh, it wasn't Christian, but it was spiritual. It was religious mm. and prepared me for when I did become a Christian uh, as an adult person because the way in which I intersected with the Bible, scriptures, Christianity was completely different. Uh, I came to the table with an abundance of thoughts and critiques. Um, And so when you ask me how am I essentially able to stay anchored, uh, I came to the table already deconstructing, so to speak, from from the beginning, right? So you know, so I had an ethic of deconstruction from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that the question asking, um, the being decidedly uh, uh, iconoclastic, uh, mm-hmm. nothing is sacred to me. Like in the mm-hmm. sense of I don't have the nostalgia of I can't ask this question because, you know, we grew up on oh, wow. uh, this is my favorite hymn and I can't ask a question. No, I can bust it all up. <laughs> I, yeah, I can yeah. ask all the questions. Um, oh, Jesus seems oppressive here. We can't ask that question. No, this seems very white supremacist. Mm. Um, let's get into it. <laughs> Dude, that's so good, bro. Because, yeah, yeah. I Like, that makes so much sense because if you – if you don't have that, we can't go there. It, you, it's, it, you know, you're, it's almost like for you, you're like the one person I know that almost did come to the scriptures with somewhat of a blank slate. Yes. Because when you grow up in church, you are indoctrinated into not the Bible, but you're indoctrinated into this is the way our tribe sees these yes. books, not even these books, the way we see this book, because yes. even the folks that like would say that would that would not understand or, or, or think about the Bible as a collection of books or a library like it's that in and of itself is is revolutionary for somebody yeah. that grew up in it. You know what I'm saying? So yes. so to so to be able to come to these things with the blankest of slates, even to the point where you can say Jesus seems oppressive here. I yeah, I, <laughs> I'm amazed by it because because those words in most Christian spaces, 
would like you you'd have like that the the jukebox stops and somebody's fourth drops <laughs> on the plate moment. You know what I'm just like like what you can't say that, but like you're 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 like why the hell can't I say it? Yeah, and I learned that you know I was in some very very fundamentalist spaces where over time for a period of my Christianity. I learned to put that part of myself under wraps and start to only express it in, in my personal time with God, because I felt like I was in the matrix. Right. And I thought that it was okay to be the way that I was. And I was in some very white fundamentalist spaces that taught me that the questions I was asking were bad. Um, and there were some very uh, white nationalist spaces. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, uh, and over time, I, I tried to unlearn how to be the way that I was. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't be anything else. Um, and so, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so over time, I just had to realize like, yes, it was hurtful to try to unlearn and to try and contort myself into being what was expected of me in these spaces. But I, I, I did feel what you're saying, like, hey, Jesus is oppressive here. Okay, David is a man after God's own heart, because why? Mm. I, I, <laughs> so we're not going to talk about it. And I, I felt very much like we, we had to choose and two things couldn't be true at once. And my whole life, I, I <laughs> two things can be true at once. Like mm-hmm. I can read the Bible and I can also call it oppressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt mm-hmm. like that was mm-hmm. the most dastardly thing to say in the spaces I was in. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, so yeah, so then how that translate to being translates into being in seminary um, and doing scholarly work now is t- a lot of things can be true at once. Like y- I am part of a tradition, a religious tradition that hurts and harms people actively. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't just harm black people formally. It harms black people now. Mm. Um, there's mm. a spiritual undergirding within Christianity in the frameworks of it in our nation that harm black people today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And part of why I went to seminary is I want to be able to um, loose those chains <laughs> mm. and um, mm. And not in a naive way. I'm just very aware, like, this religion can can be and has been and will continue to be toxic mm. um, to a lot of bodies um, and minds. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think one of the – a couple of recent examples of this for me is back in February, um, there was a black pastor who did a uh, – a, a, talk on valentine's day about relationships which you know on the surface is no big deal except for the fact that this black pastor is embroiled and has been embroiled for several years in extramarital affairs and stuff was circling around this guy right and and i thought to and and i'm like okay well you know uh, 
you're not disqualified from from talking about things because you got all this stuff surrounding you. But man, if I had a a, a brain surgeon who had rumor whose rumors rumors and and evidence was surfacing that that they were killing people on the operating table. Why would I go to that person for brain surgery? So I'm looking at the people in the congregation who are shouting them down, like, the hell is wrong with y'all? Like, what, like, you know, how do you, like, what is it that attracts you to things that make no sense? How are you able to check your brain at the door and look at this man and not make the connection? And then I, most recently, and, and, and this one's a little bit more complicated, Kirk Franklin and his son, like I Are found we out speak about it. Yeah, we, I think we got to speak about it. <laughs> I found out about Kirk, Kirk Franklin because I saw a black man say, "I stand with Kirk." So I'm like, "Oh, okay." You know, somebody must beat Kirk up. What happened? Did he get arrested? Did he get? Is it police brutality? And I go here in this video, and I'm like, "Why would you stand with him?" Like I understand. I understand that like parents get mad at their kids. I've gotten mad. At, I've gotten mad at my children. We have raised our voices. But there is something in this that feels very extra to where, if anything, it's like, hey, it's unfortunate this this leaked to the Internet. They had an interaction that was uncomfortable. But to take a side and to go, I'm going to side with the father whose vitriol is rolling downhill. I just found like, uh, you know, and I don't I don't know that that to me is where I see the Christianity kind of confusing, really basic ethical dilemmas. It's Jesus. Um, <laughs> I need a drink. Um, I, I, no, I, I very much agree. I, I, here's the thing, and because now you're intersecting two different worlds, right? And that it's not just the Christianity; it's also uh, the culture that we come from, right? Yes, yes, and. Yes which makes the nuance so difficult for people, um, especially out of the black experience to be able to take an honest step back. Right. Mm. I, um, again, this, it helps me to not have been raised in the church (laughs) um, because I'm like, Hey, I mean, now behold the lamb slaps for me. But Kirk Franklin wasn't my worship pastor, you know, like I, um, and that was my jam, but I yeah, mean, that was my jam, but it didn't sound like that. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't um, know this man. I don't, know like I, don't I do not know this man. Uh, <laughs> he's not my daddy. Um, so I, I, I thank I God, I guess. Have, I think we have to be honest and say, yes, we are black. Yes, I am a Christian. I do not have to stand with Kirk out of some strange sense of solidarity where I'm conflating black with all like all black men have to stand together and as a Christian and all of it's mm-hmm. interconnected. No, y'all, the takes that I'm seeing, it's actually not that deep. It's not Christian. It's not like, (laughs) so you're right. I mean, there are these layers of the Christianity of it all. Um, But also just on a very fundamental level, it wasn't just the cussing, the vitriol that this, this man is, is expressing towards his son. Y'all, it's not that deep. Kirk was wrong. 
Yes. <laughs> People are saying, yeah. y'all didn't get cussed out and look, look, you're fine now. Yeah, I did get cussed out. I also got abused by my father. My father is in prison uh, for the rest of his life. Um, yeah, my father kicked the crap out of me. Um, I'm also in therapy. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I think even to your point, the inability to call sin, sin, I think is what turns people off, even of Christianity in general. And so people saying, I stand with Kurt, that type of uh, thing it smacks of hypocrisy. And that's what I noticed even as a young person, as I started coming across Christians and why I wanted no part of Christianity because the worst people in my formative years were Christians, Um, (laughs) both in junior high, high school and college. And all the people that I was able to talk out of their Christianity were all the hypocrites. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I think I think was I think what you're touching on that 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 really resonates with me is that by default, as I understand the deep like tradition of what it means to follow this Jewish tradition of justice, is that by default you should side with the lesser. Right. In the situation. So if there's a powerful person who is um, in an argument with someone who is has less power than they do, then we who are onlookers should by default move towards that person with less power. And what we've been seeing from Donald Trump over the last five years was that Christians did not go, oh, there's a powerful person whose words and actions are hurting these people who have less power, we need to side with the lesser. They go, nope, that's our guy. That's our champion. And in this Kirk Franklin situation, this is a father. Now, I know that son's 32 years old, but it's still, a, it, the power dynamic is oh, obviously. It's irrelevant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. This is still your, this is he still He could that. be 60. I mean, it, this is exactly, irrelevant. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think, I think that the, this, this abusive, violent language to have people try to like excuse it to me was just like, yeah. Just but really it also, up. I mean, it, to me it's connected because people also serve an abusive, violent God mm. and an abusive, violent God helped establish America mm. and an abusive, violent God kept slaves in their place and an abusive, violent God wow. um, uh, ordained manifest destiny and an abusive, violent God sends missionaries all over the world to uh, make irrelevant people's ways of life and tell them how to live. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense why Christians stand with Kirk, because they are they are serving their God and people mm-hmm. um, we so all of it's interrelated. People are serving an abusive, violent God um, who are parenting Mm. in the tradition of their God. Um, Mm. It's a spiritual uh, circle that is left to that is not unbroken. Uh, So, Mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, man. And I think it's like this word trauma has become 
um, a word that we've all been become more and more familiar with over the last several years. And I think it's a great thing. And I feel like that's a part of the Christian, the modern Western Christian tradition that like we don't give space for trauma and like we will like, so this traumatic situation, people will say things like, well, you never got cussed out growing up. Or like, like it's like it's like you're supposed to like, like. you know, like like the, because we came from trauma, we're supposed to stay in trauma, right? We we can't imagine that there's a better way of talking to your children. There's a better way of resolving conflict because we're so used to. And to your point, like we we this violent, angry, vengeful God who tells people to go and kill all the animals and women and children. Well, it, then of course, then a little bit of harshness is no big deal. It isn't a big deal. And a prophetic, for me, a prophetic and moral imagination for me means that, yes, I did get cussed out as a child. Um, I also got beat down as a child. Same. Uh, I, I don't want that for the future of my lineage, and I don't want it uh, in the world that I want to live in. Um, and so, no, I don't think it's okay. <laughs> like, mm. yeah, I did. I, it has no place in the type of society, the generative society that I want to create. Um, mm. it's very easy for me to think of uh, a better society in the same way, um, in a like manner, uh, as people, when they hear talk of, uh, defunding the police, uh, people say, what? I mean, how can we get rid of this? I mean, what what else will we do? It's very easy for me to think of a multitude of better ways of justice than mm-hmm. what we have seen played out mm-hmm. um, over the past 100 years. Um, mm-hmm. It's very easy. Prophetic imagination mm-hmm. means I take the tools of liberation and construct something better. Mm-hmm. Speaking of liberation, liberation theology, um, you know, something I became familiar with over the last couple of years Mm. and in becoming familiar with it, I've seen how some of your more mainstream popular white uh, theologians, I won't disrespect them and not call them theologians, even though I hate to call them that, um, tend to attack liberation theology, Yeah, you know? So in your work in that area and you know you've talked about working at the intersection of liberation theology and and feminist theology both of which your mainstream western white evangelical would have real issues with right what what is what is it that you think is at the core or at the root of that like that that real antagonistic relationship that white your scholars have with liberation and feminist theology I think ultimately fear of losing power, right? Uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, it, so state is succinctly fear of losing power. Um, expounding upon that, I think when you actually begin to dive into liberation theology and the various strands of it, um, um, not just black liberation theology, but all, all the different uh, liberation theologies uh, or womanist theology, um, it is not that scary mm-hmm. when you are willing to divest from 
your position of power. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're committed (laughs) to being at the top of a hierarchy, it is scary uh, because it demands something of you. (laughs) Um, It means that you can't stay in your position, homie. Uh, um, it means you have to give radically of yourself. Um, there's no way you can read a womanist text, um, and stay the same. Um, I, I was radicalized when I read, um, this primer, uh, by Mitzi Smith, uh, where she collects a, a, a diverse, uh, group of women. Um, and it's called, I found God in me. And uh, there's no way to read that and not be radicalized. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually impossible. It mm-hmm. literally demands something of your soul because um, as they expound on um, social issues, on biblical issues, uh, as they expound on people that have been marginalized, even in the in biblical text that have been erased. Um, strategically um and as they illuminate them and what that would mean uh for us today there's no there it is impossible uh for you to stay the same and so uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um even reading latin uh liberation theology it's like yeah the power the rich and the powerful <laughs> yeah you gotta move homie <laughs> you gotta move <laughs> it's hard it's hard to not look at like at great massive amounts of wealth and not feel some tension when you have really dug deep into the ideas of uh, probably any religion but certainly the christian tradition and and the jewish tradition when you start going whenever someone starts to climb to the top they step on a lot of people on their way there mm-hmm. and they do a lot of harm and i don't know that there is if, if there's an you know if, if an ancient jewish person had been cryo frozen and and woke up in, our, in in the united states to 2021 the idea that there are people with billions and billions of dollars and people who live on the streets with not enough would just really i think be very hard for them to understand in a nation that calls itself christian and, oh, I, yeah. I th- and so I think that like I think that like what I hear you doing that I just so appreciate is that like I'm not interested in a in a religious practice form, whatever, that is just about how to like believe better. I'm only yeah. interested in one that allows for us to contend for a better way of being in our societies. Yes. And I, and I, to me that, if I don't have that, what is the point? Like I, yeah. I like. Going to, well, um, going to heaven, of course, and not going to hell. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like to me, I, so in some ways I say this, I lament the fact that I gave up atheism for Christianity sometimes. Um, and if I didn't believe in Jesus, uh, atheism was for me sometimes way more intellectually honest. Um 100%. And uh, the the practicality of it all was very was a lot easier, and um, the gap between what I know and what I do was easier because you know I think Christians do a lot of circus 
um, around around that gap in the dimension of uh, of things. I, I I think to what you're saying and what I I have read and I'm absorbing and what I observe, not just in what I study, but when I see people who are liberationists. Uh, like Andre Henry, for example, with his buy black debt, I, those call me to a higher way of being as an ethic. Right. And so for me, it's not even just someone who's wealthy that I've, I feel the challenge of that myself. And so that's why I'm constantly giving. I, Constantly, I'm trying to like dole out my little like five dollars into like a million different Patreons. Um, I'm like, um, Jaden is broke. Like, I am so broke. I, but I feel that because it's not. I don't feel some arbitrary standard. I, I am a liberationist at heart. Mm. And that demands something of me. And to me, I wish it wasn't even given the special term. To me, this is just fundamental humanity. Um, this is just fundamental. And yes, I'm a Christian. So fundamental Christianity, not liberationist. Um, but yes, we are liberating people from everything that would oppress them and and hinder them from thriving as Imago Day. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that to me is something that's worth living into. You know, mm. I, I think, you know, and I, and I, I you know, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this on existential before, but if I haven't, you know, it is what it is. But I've, I've, I've leaned into universalism some time ago um, because I just, it's, it's hard to like imagine that there's only one group of people who have all of the understanding that there yes. is to have about the creator. Yes. You know? Um, so for me, like regardless of, of where you park your car, when it comes to religious practice, it's like what you just said, this idea of what it means to be a human being that is, interested in the flourishing of all the human beings around yes. us, interested in the flourishing of the planet, interested in the, in the, in the flourishing of, of the animals that occupy this planet. Like that we are a part of a bigger thing. And sometimes Western Christianity reduces this giant ass thing called life to this really, really tiny, tiny, tiny corner. And even within Christianity, you've got like yeah. one tribe of Christians is like, well, those people, they call themselves Christians, but they ain't really Christians because they disagree on some theological thing. Which is and meanwhile, black. exactly. And meanwhile, in the middle of that, like we don't have the, like the intellectual honesty for yeah. the real conversations that need to happen or the vigilance for the, real existential crises that are or crises for those of you that want me to say things correct <laughs> like that are happening we are in a whole <laughs> pandemic i will <laughs> i do not have time to correct people's english okay <laughs> we just got like there's something about the faith that at least as we've learned it here in america that just seems so uh useless in the real world sometimes i 
so thought to that is what I really hate about the construct of Christianity in uh, America specifically, but I have thoughts on worldwide Christianity, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll localize it is um, what we have here is this, this machine and this uh, (laughs) that is going. um, And because we're not, able to be honest about its origins and what keeps it going. Um, we're not able to have healthy conversations. So someone, you know, you say you're a universalist. I'm like, cool. <laughs> I'm like, sounds right. Like, because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> because, like, did I, but like the average Christian is like, Oh yeah, that's so scary. What's going? That's scary. Like that's a slippery slope, and I'm like, slippery slope for who? Mm. And unto what? Um, (laughs) it unnerves me when people are frightened because your fright, uh, it tells me something about who's in charge Mm -hmm. and what your end goal is, because. People are not honest that even enslaved people did not come here with a blank slate. They came here with cosmologies of across the spectrum. And um, I think that people have this image that slaves came here completely blank. They had never believed in any other thing. They were savages out there. They were savages. They weren't even thinking a thought. And then they heard about white Jesus and they were like, that is it. And I I never thought anything about the spiritual realm. <laughs> and now I only think these things. No, they had cosmologies and understandings that they brought even to the table of faith. 100%. And they yeah. continued the mix of there were there's islamic understandings in there there's mm-hmm. mysticism there was mm-hmm. <laughs> forms of christian christianity that wasn't white christianity that they brought and some mix all of those <laughs> and mm-hmm. so when someone says they're universalist i'm like it sounds like you're walking in the spirit of your ancestors <laughs> so i'm, I'm like <laughs> it's such, okay. dude it's so interesting you bring that up because like I do think that there's so much about the enslavement of African people that that we, because we're distant from it, we don't think about from a very human place that like we do think in the United States that like these folks were running around with spears and 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 they were just jungle people that like had no consciousness. And, and like you said, they came here and the light shone and the white Jesus showed up with two lambs on his shoulders and, and like just yeah. and 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 showed them the light. And dude, there was a rich history of, of what African people believe. And you know what's also interesting when I was listening to you talk is that if you look at like what Paul writes about in the book, in, in all of his books, um, with whatever whichever ones we think he wrote, like that yeah. like their Gentiles could receive this way of being and living and 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 you filter it through their own traditions their yes. own way of seeing and, and interacting in the world but african people 
whenever we start talking about the mysticism of, of, of our ancestors or, or listening to our ancestors or whatever, it's like, it's so frowned upon as if our culture is the only one that is not allowed to interact with this, this ethos of God in whatever way us and the spirit leads us. Which you see mysticism all throughout the Bible. I mean, you see, I mean, even to the crazy stuff in there, which you see it. I mean, the witch of Endor, you see all, I mean, you see all like mysticism all the way through to the point where when, when Jesus comes back or when Paul is released from prison, they're like, Oh, it's probably the, his ghost. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're so familiar with the spirit realm they're like, don't worry about a thing. Is it Peter, the ghost, Paul, the ghost? We, uh, you know, we be seeing ghosts and stuff. So they're not c- concerned by the spirit realm. Not at all. But now, fast forward now to your point, we have these very fixed ways of understanding that certain white gatekeepers have told us to understand. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we have to. And also, the, one more thing I would say to that is, African people were so confident that they uh, interpreted the Bible whatever way was liberatory for them. Mm. Um, And they had the audacity to do it in ways uh, that weren't uh, orthodox. So they were looking and they saw uh, (laughs) the children of Israel and they identified we are the children of Israel and God's going to deliver us out of bondage. You're the Egyptians. God's going to kill you all. Um, So like, and he's going to deliver us. I mean, that is something, right? Like, um, and and I want to be clear, like not all Africans thought that God was going to kill them. Um, But like, at least we can say that they had an audacity to interpret the Bible, right? In ways that were liberating to them. And I think, yeah, it's it's phenomenal to me. They identified with certain stories where they, many of them seem to say, hey, we're the redeemed, our white masters are not. Mm. Like they were able to redraw the lines of the faith like that is audacity like they're like hey we understand mysticism we understand that we are going to be redeemed and god's going to deliver us you guys aren't saved i mean frederick Douglass is like hey i like christianity um all those people are over there those white slave masters they're not saved they're not they're not gonna (laughs) i mean he's i mean he's saying some things i mean he's like oh no it's devils i'm out here Um, and that i mean so anyway so i just i respect our ancestors in the sense of they brought their understandings they weren't blank slates they had a variety of um spiritual beliefs that they brought and they redefined um, Christianity in terms that worked for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. They contextualized it. They, they, it's, yes. So what's, and what's beautiful about it is that the most, the most meaningful moments of spirituality throughout history. And we see this, that the writing down of scripture have been from people who had to imagine God as a liberator. They had, because they did not have power 
themselves to liberate themselves, they had to imagine that the creator was a liberator. And so it makes sense that that enslaved African people here in this foreign land, forced to work the land under the harshest of conditions, would identify with the Egyptian story of liberation. And the slave masters knew that, which is why they tried their best to keep that story away from the people that had enslaved. Right. <laughs> but like, but so, so like to think that, you know, I remember the first time I heard the term white devil and I was just like, yeah. Oh, that's harsh. Well, if you lived through what enslaved people lived through, there is no other term for their white exactly. masters than devil. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in general, I mean, this is just a thought in general, I think too often in topics of race and racism, we <laughs> people are concerned with the harshness of terms rather than liberating people. <laughs> like, don't worry about the term white devil. Get us out of this bondage. <laughs> Not that I go around calling people white devil, but don't be exactly. worried about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and so, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt. <laughs> Let's talk about police brutality. Okay. Yeah, Let's yeah, talk about slavery. Exactly. Like, I was, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I get that your that your nephew is a police officer and he's probably a very yeah yeah. Person, I'm sorry. That, Not that all police officers. <laughs> Let's talk today. Okay. Hey, who cares about the slogan? Why 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 are we spending so much money on the police if they have robot dogs roaming the streets? <laughs> like, exactly. Like what? Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Dude, this has been great, man. I'm so I'm so grateful to have had you on the podcast to finally get a chance to sit down and talk to you. I I, I now understand even more so why, like, um, you are so many people's one of so many people's favorite spiritual uh, people, man. You keep showing up in these lists, man. People, you know, talk to I don't me about know your, why <laughs> that I show up in these lists. I'm like, talk to me about your favorite spiritual instructor. Oh man, Robert Munson. Why? <laughs> so, I get I just it, man. Be saying I, things, I don't. Dude, well, I appreciate the 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 light touch that you have on spirituality. You're not trying to hold it like yeah. it's yours. You know what I mean? You have an open hand where it belongs to all of us. You know, and yeah. and I, and anytime I can talk to folks like that, it just feels like a deep breath of fresh air. You know. So thanks, man. Thanks for sharing that gift with us today. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, folks, that was uh, Robert Munson. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Existential. If you've not yet rated or reviewed the podcast, please do that before you're done today. Just go by, hit four stars or even one if you want to. I don't care. Just rate and review it. Um, and thank you to all of you who are part of the Patreon community. So appreciate you. And thanks to all of you for helping us to contend for a better world. One conversation at a time. 